Part One, Chapter One of Quo Vadis, A Tale of the Time of Nero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by David Leeson. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sinkevich. Translated by S. A. Binion and S. Malevsky. Part One, Chapter One. It was not until about noon that Petronius finally woke. He felt greatly fatigued, as usual. The evening before he had been with Nero at a feast which had continued late into the night. For some time past his health had not been good. He said of himself that he felt like a log of wood in the mornings, and barely had sufficient strength to collect his thoughts. However, a bath and the careful massage administered by skilled slaves gradually quickened the flow of his sluggish blood, refreshed him and restored his courage. From the last stage of the bath he issued a new man, his eyes sparkling with wit and animation, rejuvenated, vivacious, so superior that Otho could not equal him, in fact, honestly meriting his sobriquet, arbiter of elegance. Petronius seldom went to the public baths, and then only to hear some speaker whose reputation had aroused the gossip of the city, or when there were games of particular interest going on in the great hall. In ordinary circumstances he preferred his private baths on his own estate, which Salaire, the renowned companion of Severus, had enlarged and rebuilt for him. With so much taste were they equipped, that in spite of the fact that the imperial baths were larger and immeasurably more luxuriously planned, Nero himself owned Petronius's superior. As Petronius, bored by Vatinius's joking, had taken part after last night's feast in a discussion with Nero, Lucan, and Seneca as to whether women possessed souls, he woke, as has been said, late, and according to his habit made use of the baths. Two colossal slaves having laid him upon a cypress wood table, which was covered with immaculate Egyptian linen, dipped their hands in perfumed oil and began to rub him. Meanwhile, closing his eyes, he waited till the warmth of the steam and the friction of the rubber's hands should penetrate his body and drive away fatigue. After a short time he opened his eyes and asked of the weather. Later he inquired concerning the precious stones which Idomeneus, the jeweller, had promised to bring him to examine. As the breeze was from the Alban mountains, the weather promised fair. As for the precious stones, they had not yet been sent. At the same instant, the slave whose duty it was to announce the names of the visitors to the baths, appeared from behind the curtain to say that young Marcus Vinicius, who had just returned from Asia Minor, wished to see Petronius. Petronius ordered the slaves to carry him to the warm room into which he directed that his guest should be admitted. Vinicius was the son of his eldest sister, who had years before become the wife of Marcus Vinicius, a consul in the reign of Tiberius. Under Corbulo's command, the young Vinicius had been fighting the Parthians, and had now, after the close of the war, returned to Rome. Petronius was extremely fond of him, because, for one reason, he was handsome and athletic, and also because he had sufficient delicacy of feeling not to exceed a certain moderation in his debaucheries, a faculty which Petronius valued above all others. "'My greetings to Petronius,' said the young man, as with an elastic step he entered the warm room. "'May all the gods, and especially Escalapius and Cyprus, be indulgent to thee, for under their joint protection nothing can go amiss. Welcome to Rome, and may thy rest be sweet after the war. 
answered petronius extending his hand from the folds of the soft linen which covered him what news from armenia and while thou wert in asia did you happen to go to bithynia for a period petronius had himself been the governor of bithynia and had administered the province with firmness and justice inasmuch as this activity presented a curious contrast in the character of one noted for indolence and luxurious tastes petronius was fond of referring to his services to the state since they showed not only what he was able to do but what he might have been had he so wished i did go to heraclea answered vinitius i was sent there by corbula for reinforcements ah heraclea there it was i knew a girl from colchis for whom i would give all the divorced women i know poppaea included but how long ago that was let us talk of other things what news of the parthians between ourselves they bore me the vologeses the tiridates and tigranes all those barbarians who are in the habit of going on all fours at home as aurelinus says and who affect to be human beings only with us rome talks much of them however for the reason probably that she is afraid to talk of anything else this war fares badly and but for corbulo it might have ended in defeat corbulo by bacchus a genuine war-god a veritable mars a great general and withal an irritable blunt thick-witted fellow in spite of it all i like him if for nothing else than because nero fears him corbulo is no fool perhaps thou art right but what difference does that make as pyrrho says stupidity is no worse than intelligence and cannot be told from it vinitius continued to talk of the war but when petronius again closed his eyes and the young man noticed his uncle's weary drawn face he changed the subject of conversation and inquired with solicitude concerning his health petronius once more raised his eyelids how was his health so-so he did not feel perfectly well he did not feel so badly off to be sure as young sicina whose sensibilities were so dulled that in the morning when he was taken to the bath he would have to ask whether he was sitting or standing no he did not feel well vinitius commended him to aesculapius and cypris but he petronius did not believe in aesculapius it is not even known whose son that aesculapius was whether arsinoes or coronises and when the mother is in dispute what is there to say of the father in these days who will guarantee his own father petronius burst out laughing and added two years ago i sent three dozen fat live cocks and a golden cup to epidorus canst thou imagine why said i to myself whether it do good or no good it can do no harm i am of the opinion that those who bring offerings to the gods reason just as i do all with the possible exception of the mule drivers travellers hire at the gate of capina in addition to aesculapius i accidentally had some business with some of his kind last year when my kidneys were out of order they prescribed a night's sleep within the walls of a temple i knew them for rogues but even then i asked myself what harm can come to me from that society rests on roguery and life itself is self-deception even the soul is a dream nevertheless one ought to have a certain degree of intelligence to be able to distinguish the errors that are pleasant from those that are not i direct that my sweat-room shall be heated with cedar wood sprinkled with ambergris because while i am alive i prefer perfumes to stenches as for cypris to whose good graces thou hast also commended me i know enough about her protection to have introduced shooting pains in my right foot 
but for all that she is a good goddess. I foresee the time, sooner or later, when thou also will be bringing white doves to her altar. Thou hast guessed right, answered Vinitius. I came away scatheless from the arrows of the Parthians, but love transfixed me, in a most unforeseen way, not a mile outside the city gate. By the white knees of the graces thou shalt tell me about this at length, said Petronius. I came to thee particularly for advice, answered Marcus. The manicures, who now began to busy themselves with Petronius, interrupted him, and Marcus, at Petronius's invitation, doffed his tunic and plunged into the tepid bath. Bless me, I did not even ask thee if thy love is returned, said Petronius, as he gazed at Vinitius's youthful figure, which seemed as if chiselled from marble. If Lysippus had only seen thee, thou wouldst be gracing at this very moment the Palatine Gate as a statue of the young Hercules. The young man smiled with satisfaction as he plunged about in the bath, and sent the warm water in an infinitude of sparkling drops over the mosaic which represented Hera at that moment when the goddess begged that sleep might close the eyes of Zeus. Petronius stared at him with the delighted gaze of an artist. When Vinitius came out of the bath, and in turn had given himself into the hands of the manicures, the reader entered, carrying at his chest a bronze tube containing rolls of papyrus. "'Wouldst thou like to listen?' asked Petronius. "'If it is something of thine own, with pleasure,' answered Vinitius. "'Otherwise I would prefer to talk. Poets nowadays buttonhole one at every street corner.' right it is impossible to get past any one of the basilicas or baths or libraries or bookshops without running into a poet gesticulating like a monkey when agrippa came back from the east he mistook them for lunatics that is the way things go at present caesar is writing verses therefore everyone is imitating him only one thing is forbidden to write better verses than caesar's and for that reason i fear somewhat for lucan as for me i write prose with which moreover i neither regale myself nor others the reader is about to read the lines of the ill-fated fabricius veiento why ill-fated because he has been commanded to amuse himself in the character of odysseus and forbidden to return to his household gods till he receives a fresh command in one respect however this odyssey will not be as hard as ulysses his wife is not at all like penelope it is i think superfluous to explain to thee that the command was stupid but in this place appearances are the only things that count Fabricius wrote a wretched, tiresome book, but for all that everyone is reading it with rapture, now that the author is exiled. From every quarter all one hears is, it is a scandal, a scandal. Possibly Fabricius has exaggerated a trifle, but I assure you, knowing our city and its heads of families and its women so well, that his account is paler than the reality. But that fact does not prevent his readers searching for allusions to themselves with terror, and to their friends with delight at avernus's bookstore there are a hundred clerks kept copying the book at dictation it is an assured success did any of your escapades get into it of course but the author fooled himself because he did not see that i am at once much worse and less stupid than he has represented me you see we have here long since lost the faculty of distinguishing what is moral from what is immoral for my part i am of the opinion that no distinction need be made although seneca musonius and trasca pretend to see one but for me it is a matter of indifference 
by hercules i speak my mind openly but i have persistently held to one point of superiority which is that i do not confound what is ugly with what is beautiful and this is for instance something our bronzebeard the poet the driver singer dancer and historian does not understand nevertheless i am sorry for fabricius he is a good companion conceit ruined him every one suspected him yet no one was certain he could not restrain himself and gave the whole thing away in confidence didst thou hear the story about rufinus no in that case let us go into the cool room we will cool off there and i will tell thee the tale they entered the cooling room in the centre a fountain arising from a pale rose-coloured basin diffused the perfume of violets seating themselves in an alcove covered with a silken fabric they began to breathe in the coolness for a few moments neither spoke vinitius dreamily gazed at the statue of a bronze fawn who as he inclined over a nymph's arm tried eagerly to kiss her in the lips after an interval he said there is one who knows the truth that certainly is the best that life has to give yes to a degree but that is not the only thing thou art fond of thou likest war for instance to which i am not drawn for the reason that in the camp one's finger-nails break and lose their rosy tint however every one of us has his weakness bronzebeard likes singing especially his own songs and old scorus his corinthian vase which stands at the foot of his bed and which he kisses when he cannot sleep he has destroyed the lip of the vase with his kisses i say dost thou not write verses no i have never been able to write even a single hexameter and dost thou play the lute and sing no and dost thou drive a chariot once i competed in the hippodrome at antioch but unsuccessfully in that case i will make my mind easy on thy account which faction didst thou belong to in the circus to the green now i am perfectly satisfied and the more so since although thou art not as rich as pallas or seneca thou art nevertheless well off dost thou see that with us at present while it is good if one can write verses or sing to the lute declaim or compete in the circus it is still better and immeasurably safer for one not to write verses nor to play nor to sing nor to compete in the circus the most useful thing of all is to know how to be enthusiastic when bronzebeard is enthusiastic thou art a handsome young fellow therefore the only thing that threatens thee is that poppaea may fall in love with thee but she has had too much experience she learned quite enough of love with her two first husbands with her third she has other plans knowest thou that fool of an otho still loves her insanely far away upon the spanish cliffs he walks and sighs he has lost his former habits and has become so fastidious about his person that it does not take him more than three hours a day to dress his hair who could think of such a thing especially of otho i understand him answered vinitius but in his place i should have acted otherwise how exactly i should have formed faithful legions from the native mountaineers the iberians make excellent soldiers vinitius vinitius i was almost ready to tell thee that thou wouldst have been incapable of such a thing and dost thou know why because that although such things are done they are not even hinted at for my part in his place i should have laughed at poppaea laughed at bronzebeard and should have formed legions for my own use not of iberian men but of iberian women but more particularly would i have written epigrams which unlike that unfortunate rufinus i would have read to no one by the way thou wert going to tell me about him i will do that in the anointing-room 
but in the anointing room vinitius's attention was diverted by the beauty of the slave women who awaited the bathers two of these negresses who reminded one of ebony statues began at once to anoint their bodies with arabian perfumes others phrygians capable hairdressers held in their hands soft and flexible as serpents polished mirrors of steel and combs while two others grecian women from cause who were beautiful as goddesses waited till the time should come to arrange the gentlemen's togas in graceful folds by zeus the cloud-scatterer exclaimed marcus vinitius see what thou hast to choose from i prefer quality to quantity answered petronius my whole household in rome does not exceed four hundred and i fancy that a larger number of servants is not required for personal attendance more beautiful bodies bronzebeard himself does not own said vinitius distending his nostrils petronius answered with a suggestion of good-natured indifference thou art my kinsman and i am neither so yielding as barsus nor such a pedant as is aulus plautius at the sound of the last name vinitius forgot the maidens from cause and raising his head asked what made thee think of aulus plautius can it be thou dost not know that when i dislocated my arm outside the city i spent more than two weeks in his house plautius happened to be passing at the time of the accident and when he saw how much i was suffering carried me to his house where his slave the physician marion cured me i wished to talk with thee of precisely this thing what is the trouble are my fears correct that thou art in love with pomponia if this be true i am sorry for thee she is not young and she is virtuous there can be no worse combination <sighs> i did not fall in love with pomponia <laughs> answered vinitius with whom then would that i knew myself but i do not even know her name whether it be lygia or calina in the house they call her lygia because she is a lygian by descent but she also has her barbarous name of Kalina. What a wonderful house is Plautius's! It is filled with people, yet it is as quiet as the groves of Subiacum. In the course of the whole two weeks I was there I did not have a suspicion that there was a divinity not far off. But once, at dawn, I caught sight of her bathing in the garden fountain. By the foam from which Venus rose, the morning light passed right through her body it seemed to me that let the sun but rise and she would vanish in its light as the gleam of the morning stars after this i saw her twice and since then i have been unable to find rest i know no other desires i care for nothing that rome can give me i want no women gold nor corinthian copper i want not amber pearls nor wine nor feasting one thing alone i eagerly long for lygia I confess to thee, Petronius, sincerely that I am yearning for her, as yearns for Pesithia, that dream pictured on the mosaic of thy warm room. Ceaselessly, day and night, I yearn. If she is a slave, buy her. She is not a slave. Who then is she? One of Plautius's freed women? Never having been a slave, she could not have been given her freedom. What then is she? I do not know. A king's daughter, or something like it. Vinitius, thou art exciting my curiosity if thou wilt listen to me i will soon satisfy thy curiosity it will not take long to tell the story doubtless thou knowest personally vanius the king of the suevi who when he was banished from his own country lived for many years in rome where he made himself a reputation for his luck at dice and his skill in chariot racing the emperor drusus restored him again to his throne vanius who was actually a man of parts began by ruling well and was successful in war but later he gradually began to skin not only his neighbors but his own suevi 
at this vangio and sido his two nephews the sons of vibilius king of the hermanduri determined to force him to go back to rome to try his luck at the dice i remember it did not happen so long ago in the time of claudius yes war broke out vanius summoned to his aid the yazygi his fond nephews turned to the lygians who having heard of vanius's wealth and tempted by the hope of booty poured in such multitudes that claudius caesar himself began to fear for the safety of his frontier claudius not wishing to get involved in a foreign war wrote to atelius hister the commander of the danubian legions to follow closely the course of the war and not to permit it to disturb our peace then hister exacted of the lygians that they should bind themselves not to cross the frontier not only did they agree to this but gave hostages among whom were the wife and daughter of their leader thou knowest that the barbarians take their wives and children with them in the field my lygia is the daughter of this leader where didst thou learn all this aulus plautius himself told me as a matter of fact the lygians did not cross the frontier but barbarians come like a hurricane and disappear with the same impetuosity just so vanished the lygians with their wild bull-horns on their heads they the suevi and the yazygi vanius had assembled but their king was killed in consequence they disappeared with their booty and left their hostages in hister's power the mother died after a short time and the daughter was sent by hister to the ruler of all germany pomponius for the reason that he did not know what else to do with her at the conclusion of the war with cati he returned to rome where as you know claudius allowed him to hold a triumph at that time the girl walked behind the conqueror's chariot but when in his turn pomponius became perplexed to know what to do with the girl since a hostage might not be regarded as a captive he gave her to his sister pomponia grisina the wife of plautius here in this house where everything from the host to the chickens in the yard are virtuous she grew to maidenhood alas virtuous as grisina herself and to be so beautiful that in comparison to her even poppaea seems like an autumn fig to an apple of the hesperides and what then i repeat that from the instant i saw how the rays of light shone through and penetrated her body i fell desperately in love with her consequently she is transparent like a sea lamprey or a young sardine do not laugh petronius but if thou hast been led into a misunderstanding by my speaking so freely of my passion remember that bright clothes often cover deep wounds i must confess to thee that when i was returning from asia i slept a night in the temple of mopsus in the hope that a revelation might come to me in my slumber and indeed while i slept mopsus himself appeared to me and declared that love would work a great change in my life i have heard that pliny says he does not believe in the gods but does believe in dreams and perhaps he is right my jesting does not prevent my thinking at times that there exists only one divinity eternal omnipotent and creative venus genetrix it unites souls and bodies everything love it was who called the world from chaos whether he did well is another question but since it is so we must of necessity acknowledge his might although one need not be thankful for it ah oh, petronius it is easier to talk philosophy than to give good counsel tell me what it is thou particularly wishest 
i wish to have lygia i wish that these hands of mine which now only embrace the air might hold her and press her in their embrace i wish to breathe her breath if she were a slave i would give aulus for her a hundred maidens with feet whiter than chalk as sign that they had been for the first time exposed for sale i wish to have her in my house till my head is as white as the summit of soracte in winter though she is not a slave yet because she belongs to plautius's family and because she has been forsaken by her parents she may be regarded as a foster daughter had he wished plautius might give her to thee clearly thou knowest not pomponia Grisina. both are bound up in her as in their own daughter indeed i know pomponia a veritable cypress tree were she not the wife of aulus she might have been hired as a professional mourner ever since julia's death she has not doffed her mourning in a word she looks as if while still living she were wandering over the asphodel-strewn meadow moreover she is a woman who has had only a single husband which makes her a phoenix among our much divorced women by the way didst thou hear that a phoenix has actually appeared in upper egypt the thing happens not oftener than once in five hundred years petronius petronius we will talk of the phoenix some other time then hearken to me dear marcus i know aulus plautius who although he disapproves of my manner of life yet regards me with a certain attachment and perhaps rates me above others for he knows that i have never been an informer as for instance were domitius afer tigellinus and the whole gang of bronzebeard's friends while making no pretensions of being a stoic i have more than once turned away in disgust from certain acts of nero's on which seneca and burrus have looked with indulgence if thou thinkest i can do something for thee with aulus i am thy servant it seems to me thou canst thou knowest how to influence him and thy resources are inexhaustible think over the case and speak with plautius thou exaggeratest both my influence and my resourcefulness however if that is all thou wantest of me i will speak to plautius when he returns to rome they returned two days since that being the case let us go into the dining-room where our breakfast is waiting and when we have pulled ourselves together we will have them take us to plautius's thou hast always been good to me exclaimed vinitius with fervour but now there is nothing left for me but to set up thy statue among my lares a fine one like that over there and make offerings to it he turned to the statues which adorned one of the walls of the perfumed chamber and designated the one which represented petronius as hermes with a staff in his hand by the light of helios he added if the godlike alexander was like to thee i marvel not at helena this exclamation in an equal degree breathed sincerity and flattery for although petronius was older and physically not so well developed as phoenicius his face seemed handsomer the roman women not only went into ecstasies over the delicacy of his mind and taste for which reason they called him the arbiter of elegance but also over his figure this was reflected even on the faces of the two maidens of cos who were at present engaged in arranging the folds in his toga one of them eunice by name who cherished a secret passion for petronius gazed in his eyes with tenderness and adoration but he without even looking at her smiled at vinitius and began to quote to him by way of reply seneca's epigram about women animal impudence etc when he had finished petronius laying his hand on the young man's shoulder led him into the dining-room in the anointing-room the two greek girls the phrygians and the two negresses were making ready to gather together the perfumes 
but on the instant from behind the drawn curtains of the cold room protruded the heads of the bathing-masters and a cautious call was heard one of the grecians the phrygians and both of the negresses immediately disappeared behind the curtain the time of mirth and revelry had come in the baths the superintendent did not restrain the slaves because he himself had not infrequently taken part in similar orgies petronius moreover also had his doubts about them but being an indulgent man and one not fond of criticizing looked upon the revels through his fingers eunice remained alone in the anointing-room she listened for a time to the sound of the voices and laughter retreating towards the sweat-room then she took the bench ornamented with amber and ivory on which petronius had just been sitting and carefully moved it over to his statue the anointing-room was filled with sunlight and the bright reflection of the many-colored marble slabs with which the walls were covered eunice mounted the bench when she found herself on a level with the statue she threw her arms impetuously around its neck then throwing back her golden hair and pressing her rosy body against the white marble she ardently covered with kisses petronius's cold mouth end of part one chapter one